Welcome to Comms in Asia, where we unpack the vibrant world of communication and technology in Asia Pacific. Join us as we analyze and interpret the role of owned and earned media strategies for brands and publishers. Breaking down the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities in the industry, we'll bring you nuanced viewpoints from experts in the field as we dive into the various methods that brands can use to reach their target audience and drive awareness in the world's fastest growing markets. Hi everyone, hope you're all doing well as we kick off the new year. I'm your host, Leighton Kassaboom, co-founder of C2 Media and head of PR and communications at AC Ventures. I'm Enrico Lukman, co-founder at C2 Media. The parent company of Content Grow, it's a managed talent network for brands and publishers to work with high-quality freelance writers and journalists around the world. So today, we're going to talk about hacking PR for startups in emerging Asia. If you're in the industry, you may know that startups face many challenges with public relations. This includes limited resources, a lack of name recognition in the market, competition for media attention from you know other tech companies or even the tech giants, limited industry connections, and also often a lack of experience in the PR and communications space. So overall, the biggest challenge for startups with PR is often getting the necessary exposure to build a strong reputation and attract customers and investors. So with this in mind, I'd like to introduce our first guest, Michaela Villaroman. She goes by Mika for short. She's based in the Philippines. She handles global PR and media relations for Seedstars, an industry agnostic investment firm dedicated to tech startups in emerging and frontier markets. It's headquartered in Switzerland and the firm's work spans more than 90 countries with more than 15 offices around the globe. Mika, welcome to the show. Hi, Lytton. Hi, Enrico. Thanks a lot for having me. All good. So just wanted to ask, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to run the global media relations game for Seedstars? Serving an entire portfolio of nascent tech companies, what are the unique parts of this role compared to, you know, say running PR for a single Fortune 500 brand? Can you, can you walk us through it a little bit? Sure. So I came about the role. So I used to work for Seedstars. I used to organize events for us. Um, we used to run this global pitch competition where we take promising entrepreneurs from their countries and uh, the winners from that competition would go on to the regional and onto the finals in Switzerland for a chance to win half a million um, in equity refunding. But yeah, things changed, COVID happened, and I kind of got, I kind of fell into the role of PR. And I would really use the word fell into the role because prior to this, I, I really didn't have like a lot of industry experience. I had zero connections when I was starting out. So I kind of had to learn from there how to actually navigate the industry. But yeah, ever since I've done PR for Seedstars, I've also been doing a bit of consulting work for um, other startups uh, locally in the Philippines, as well as around the region. And I would say that you know, for a global company like Seedstars, since we invest in a lot of different industry agnostic startups, it, it would be a bit challenging. But I think the practices that you learn as a PR pro, it can be translated across different industries and across different um, regions as well. Because we currently manage like operations in Asia, Latin America, got MENA, CE, and Africa. So uh, I think just the bare basics can be translated. And so if you have like a general understanding if, and if you've had experience in the industry, you can use that and really you know go about like whatever industry you want to explore. 
Can you give us a few examples of like common challenges that startups will face when it comes to, you know, running PR? Because often it's their their first time attempting to get media coverage. You know, they're small, sometimes they're pre-revenue even, um, and they're just, uh, you know, still building an MVP or a prototype, for example. So how do you go about helping these companies that maybe don't have such a track record? Can you give us a few examples of, you know, something from your playbook? Sure. I think like the topic of this podcast really is like, how can you get PR apart from like your general funding news? And you 100% can. I think in general, startups, especially if they're starting out, they could look at a lot of the things that they're doing now and just, you know, tease out a story there. For example, I worked with this local startup company. They're creating this vehicle in the Philippines and they're kind of combining like the past and the present culture or like the icons, iconic transportation vehicles from the past and creating this new really cool vehicle that they've also created an electric version for. So their story in itself and their mission to create like this new revolutionary thing, it's, it's already quite compelling. And hopefully like how I described it could also show you that it, it is a visually like a nice product itself. So they're not like really looking for funding right now and they're still in the process of like growing. But I told them when they got their electric vehicle made that this could be like a, a perfect time to uh, to try and look for media opportunities. So I basically took their story and their mission of finding, uh, of creating this vehicle. And, you know, I've attached the picture and I've kind of created this narrative that it's, it's going to be a culturally relevant product. And I've offered like producers that I've reached out to, like we could give them a ride and we could film like people going on it. And... So I reached out to like news producers, like morning shows, which I know would be interested in this kind of thing. And because it's visually nice to look at. But then I also reached out to journalists who are like more into the arts and culture of it. So I basically used my same pitch of their story. And I kind of hammered on the, the cultural aspect side of things, like the historical relevance bit. And it, it really worked. And the campaign like really snowballed for them. They had so many features after that. But it really just goes to show that, you know, you don't need a funding round to be on the news. You just need good old fashioned storytelling. And you need to just look at what you're doing now and see, you know, what could the public be interested in? Okay, cool. And after you did that, did you notice any, you know, results or traction for them in the market? Did they get any investor attention or were they able to, um, you know, attract new partners? I, I suspect that they're not yet like selling these EVs, right? So right now they're still sort of probably ramping up with partners and investors. In terms of tangible results for a successful PR campaign, is that something you were able to observe? Yeah, so at the time that we were doing this PR campaign, they were already in touch with a few like government agencies of trying to see how they can, you know, incorporate this to their local um, government units. And when, when the news broke out and they were everywhere, they were on TV, they were like online on everyone's newsfeed, they definitely took notice. So the conversation just kind of kept going from there. And now they've, they're calling it like, yeah, they, they totally believe in like the, the future and the promise of the product. Because they've seen it so many times and there's so many external publications who have mentioned this and who believe in it. So it kind of has played into um, helping them push through with the conversations that are happening now. But yeah, I would say that, you know, the founder is like super happy about it. And he's like showed me texts from, you know, the, the government people who have seen it. So really cool. 
Interesting. So do you have another case study or example from your from your records that was like a, a, a breakout success in terms of, you know, creative or even not so creative campaign tactics that you that you deployed, you know, and, and you really saw the, the actual results of how a great PR or comms campaign can translate to new business or, or new capital? Sure. Uh, with SeedStars, we recently launched our SeedStars Capital Platform, and it's basically for emerging market fund managers, and we're basically helping them manage up-and-coming funds. So when we launched this, it was, I think, a month ago. It was a campaign that we've been working on for a while now because obviously things were being finalized in terms of the platform side. So my conversations with reporters were very um, long-winded, but when everything broke out and we um, were featured in Bloomberg. We were featured really everywhere. There was so much traffic that came into it that our partners were just like so enthused with what we were able to do, not just from you know our social media efforts, but also like from PR because everyone was like emailing them. There was just so much leads that came in that were kind of um, reeling it back in in terms of efforts of what we want to do um, as a follow-on effort for this because now they're they're managing a lot. So I think with PR, it's kind of hard to you know quantify and really directly relate how your efforts are helping out. But in the bigger picture, and when other aspects of marketing you know, play into it, the people you're working with would definitely like see the results. And I think they're kind of taking the whole marketing um, efforts that we made and relating it to the leads that they've, they've received. Okay, uh, so now that we've covered some examples of successes or interesting um, cases of where you, you really saw the PR campaign generate real traction for the business, do you have maybe one or two horror stories uh, in your suitcase about things that you know went uh, went wrong and and kind of what were the lessons that you learned and you know it could be across the spectrum, be it from you know, managing clients' expectations to approaching journalists the right way. Anecdotally, maybe some failures that, that you have learned from. Oh, yeah, definitely a lot of mistakes. <laughs> um, I guess like one that really stood out and I learned such a big lesson about communication here would be um, I was working with a startup and they had this funding news that was supposed to come out. And so I explained to them how I usually want to go about, you know, um, distributing funding news and working with reporters is I would set up embargoes. So PR pros know what an embargo means. It's basically um, having this agreement with the reporter that certain news is going to break at a certain time and date. So you guys have the agreement, nothing's going to leak beforehand, and all is fine and well. So I explained this to them, everything's all set up. And then after a while, like the funding news was supposed to you know, break the following day. And then one of the reporters that I was in touch with she emails me a link and she's like, oh, hey, the, the new, I just saw the news today. Like, are we breaking it now? Like, what's going on? And my heart, I feel like I was about to have a stroke. <laughs> so I, I, I was like panicking. I, I asked them what's going on. And apparently um, the, the team had worked out this exclusive with another local publication. And they agreed that it's going to come out a day before the embargo. And they didn't know that this was going to be a conflict on anything, despite me like kind of explaining what an embargo is. So it was quite a mess. Um, very, very stressful. Um, but yeah, like in the end, you know, I thought how I would approach it is, okay, so I have a, a, a handful of journalists who I have this embargo agreement with. I just want to be honest with them and just maintain the integrity of what an embargo agreement is. So I didn't want to risk them knowing that it broke and I feel like I 
um, you know, trick them into still publishing it. So I went with the honesty route and, you know, thankfully they appreciated it. And like with the factors surrounding the, the news that broke, which was it's in a local publication, it's in a different language, under a paywall, it still went through. So crisis has been averted, <laughs> but it was such a big lesson to me that you should probably, it's better to over communicate um, than not with your clients. You know, when it comes to managing client expectations or even explaining to them what you're doing, because even if it's so obvious for you as a PR pro, because you're in the in the weeds of it, not everybody understands it. So now I approach everything and I just, you know, I oversell, I overtell them what I do just to make sure we're all on the same page. And thankfully, nothing like that has happened since. Yeah, I mean, I think that happens a little bit more than you might than you might think, you know, sometimes by accident, too. Like sometimes you'll put an embargo on a release and then the journalists will just simply forget. Like they get the story loaded into their blog and then they just kind of forgot that you had put that time and date at the top of the release. And then they'll just kind of click publish without thinking about it. And then suddenly the cat's out of the bag, right? So yeah, definitely that's happened to me more, more than once on both sides of it. I, I was actually once the journalist that was accidentally breaking the embargo. And I've also been the PR professional that uh, has to, try to claw back the story after the embargo has been broken. So definitely understand that. Um, anything anything else that stands out in your mind in terms of maybe even like quirky, unexpected um, breaches or crises that you had to manage on the fly? It's more of just like really the rookie mistakes, especially when I was starting out. Like I didn't understand that you're not supposed to spam just like a, a big list of reporters and expect them to publish. So I basically sent out this, you know, press release and I did the mail merge. Uh, I did the spray and pray and I got names wrong and uh, pretty bad. But I don't know if there's like any other like quirky instances. I think like that was the biggest mistake <laughs> so far. Understood. Understood. Um, okay. Enrico, I want to give you a chance to jump in here and ask any kind of questions that may be on your mind. I'm, I'm kind of curious to jump back into the story whereby you published a campaign about Seed Stars Capital. It was a huge success and I saw the, the Bloomberg TV coverage. Amazing. How did you get that one? I mean, what kind of preparation? Uh, how long did you prepare for it? Yeah. What kind of effort do you really put into launching this thing? Sure. In general, a chunk of my time really goes into researching and consuming content. Because I think the work of a publicist, really, a chunk of it is spent on the reading aspect, the researching, the understanding, the beat of a journalist you want to reach out to before you even hit send in your email. So since we had a huge chunk of time to prepare, since it took a while to really finalize the platform, I, I had all this time to you know look through which publications or which TV shows have this like segments where they feature VCs or you know startups in general, and then from there I, I curated this list, and then I made sure like I I'm able to reach the right reporter or the right producer, and oftentimes I find that you know the first person I reach out to might not really be the right fit, so you can still try to find someone else under the same publication or same TV show. They're all like producers for a, a sp specific segment for the Bloomberg feature. Uh, I've been trying to build a relationship with uh, a Bloomberg producer for a while now, but I I've, haven't been able to really get a reply from anyone. And it was through looking through LinkedIn, um, Twitter, really using other social media platforms to see like where um, they're active in. 
and looking at who are the people who work on specific segments that I found a producer who eventually like was very receptive to me. And from there, like I pitched her the capital launch and I didn't actually like hear back if it was going to come out, but then I saw it. And so from there, I now have this relationship with her where she's receptive to my pitches. She understands that I know what kind of stories she's looking for, what news she likes to, you know, send over to um, the rest of the team. So because of the research and the time I took and the effort I made to really find the right connection, I was able to get us um, that really nice little Bloomberg shout out <laughs> that you saw. Oh, very nice. So when you re first reached out to them, it was before you sent out the, the news, right? Or did you already pitch to them the story beforehand, before the, the, the news officially launched? For, for the Bloomberg one in particular, I actually reached out to the producer who ended up um, getting the story made uh, with the news itself. So I came to her, I told her, you know, I, thought, I, I looked at the show, what they, the news that they talk about. And so I just sent her straight up, like, this is what we're doing. It might be interesting for your segment. And that actually worked. Um, but for some of the other relationships that I had, I have, I'm, I was working with the startup. So they're an agri-tech company. And I thought their story would be so well produced for this like specific, um, specific show. And there was this producer that I've, uh, I've come into contact with and I've been pitching him for months. I still haven't heard back really, but I, I follow him closely and I consume his content and I just know what kind of stories he likes. So for my previous pitches, it didn't work out. But then finally, I pitched him this agri-tech startup and I framed it in a way that I know he likes to do his segments and he finally obliged. And so there's a segment coming up right now. It hasn't been released yet, but they filmed it and everything. And now I finally have this like nice working relationship with um, the producer because he knows I understand his things and I finally landed something that really piqued his interest. That's interesting. So you've been pitching to the same person for several months, not hearing back, but you just keep pitching? Yes. So <laughs> I thought it was bordering on, I'm probably like spamming him at this point, but I was just so confident that I understood um, the, types of sh the types of segments that he produces. So I just kept going until I finally hit with something that resonated with him. So it does take a bit of um, like effort and time and like you really got to follow up. But there have been so many instances where it was the follow-up or me persisting with other pitches to reporters and producers that I finally got something because I just understood that, you know, I'm not spamming them. I know what they like, and this is something I know they'd be interested in. Very interesting. Okay. Noted on that. It's okay to keep sending email pitches as long as it's, um, it's relevant for them. So don't just pray and pray. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah? Yes. So I actually believe... Um, there's this, there's this notion in PR, I think in the community where people are always saying quality over quantity, but after a while now, after like, I've worked on like numerous campaigns after I've done like so many pitches, I would say volume actually does matter. I think quantity is also as important, but of course you got to combine like quantity with quality, but yeah, I think volume really matters. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, actually, you know, you have to do what you have to do. Um, the, the client or the startups in your, in your portfolio, in your case, they will want X 
you'll already know that X is a not not a great comms idea, but you have to do it anyway because that's what they want, right? And so when you talk about quality versus quantity, sometimes you just have to do uh, what is high quantity uh, in order to sift through the the winners from the losers in terms of campaigns and arrive at the good quality one. And so that kind of leads to a next question, which is, do you advise the startups in Seedstar's portfolios about what you think is going to work and what you think is not going to work? How do you advise them? And then how do you manage their expectations in terms of what they're going to get from a given campaign? In terms of the Seedstar's portfolio, so I usually support um, their funding news announcements. So it's not so much like really giving them a lot of like media opportunities. Of course, if there's something relevant, like I send it their way. Um, but, you know, even for the funding news, like sometimes um, some startups believe that it's it's worthy enough to be on like the cover of New York Times. Um, so it's really, again, it goes back to communicating properly with um, the client and explaining to them like what we're going to do, what's like realistic, but, you know, what we're going to aim for as well. Um, but I think like, for example, with SeedSars, like obviously we have a lot of like, you know, big goals. You know, we, Bloomberg has been in the um, has been in the wish list for a while now. But, you know, in the beginning, I couldn't guarantee them that. But I, I communicated to them that we're going to aim for the wish list, you know, the Bloombergs, the CNNs. But right now, what we're going to do is kind of um, build on, you know, what's possible. So really communicating that you hear them, you hear their wants, you hear their needs. But also reeling it back in and, you know, giving them the play-by-play -play of what we're going to do to get there first. So this is a, a question that comes up to, to, to me uh, and, and I, probably to Leighton as well. So how do you get a coverage on TechCrunch? What's the playbook? Because sometimes a, even a startup that has a, a good funding news, they, they disclose the funding amount, they still don't get coverage so how do you how do you do that okay how do we do that well first of all like i look into what is the industry and then what region are they are they in because if you look at TechCrunch writers some of the writers would cover specific regions for example someone's you know just stationed in asia someone does a lot of like africa um, related um, content and then you have someone who's just like very industry specific and just does this particular industry so first of all, you look into that, you look at the funding news that they have, you look at the company, you look at their industry, and then you kind of match it to who you know covers it. I feel like for funding news, I find it a bit easier to land just because usually TechCrunch really does cover funding, fundraising, but how I would like ensure it is you, you kind of, again, you go back to the storytelling angle and you see like, how are they unique to the other companies? Or maybe like their founders have this unique experience and you kind of make that, um, you kind of add that to the headline or you add that to the hook of why they're interesting, why they're not just another like fintech company, or maybe they're targeting a very specific segment that hasn't been covered before. And so your funding news, once you find the right person in the, in TechCrunch, um, you're also able to supply like some some hooks or additional info that would make it easy for them to see the story. And so they'd report on it. So that's kind of the, the steps I usually take. I see. Do you show deference to TechCrunch? Um, do you approach them first and offer them the, the inside track on a story um, or the opportunity to ask their questions and get their answers first so that it comes time for the embargo to, to be lifted? 
that you know TechCrunch has something that nobody else is going to have just from the regular release? Yeah, for sure. So when I pitch to a TechCrunch reporter and that we agree on an embargo, you know, I, I always make it a point to like let them know that the founder and the team, um, they're here if they have like any extra info that they need or any questions that they have. So usually when they come out with um, the news, it, it has like, you know, extra material that isn't from the usual press release that we would send out to the others. And I guess like that's another value add that you can offer, which is, you know, additional commentary or extra insight into what the funding news means. So it's, it's worked out so far. I see. And, and how important is it for you to, to just have a rapport with, you know, like Catherine Chu, for example, in, in Asia or, um, you know, whoever the TechCrunch reporter is in India, et cetera. Do they, do they know you on a first name basis or is it always about the merit of the story at hand? Uh, and are the, both of those things equally important? How do you view your relationships, I guess, at TechCrunch and top tech media? I'd like to think I have a good um, relationship with um, the people I've worked with in TechCrunch just because like, I make it a point that whenever I reach out to them, it's not for some like BS and I know that this is something that they cover and they're interested in. For example, with, uh, with Catherine, um, I've sent a lot, a lot of news her way and she's, you know, for the first few times, I actually didn't, I, I don't think I heard back from her, but I just made sure it was relevant. And eventually when she did pick something up, uh, it was quite an easy working relationship from there because she knows like when I send her something, it's going to be relevant to Asia. Or um, like it's probably something she's a company she's even covered in the past. So I just make sure that the context is relevant for her. And I feel like at this point, like when she sees my name, hopefully, like she automatically thinks, okay, so this is something that I'd be interested in because I've just worked with her in the past. And same goes with the other reporters that I've been able to develop a relationship with. What's your uh, best piece of advice to comms practitioners about? working with tech companies and early stage startups? I would say some advice I have for them would be, first of all, to always try to look at it from the perspective of the client like that they're working with. Same with looking at when they pitch a reporter, looking at it from the perspective of a journalist. Because for example, on the client side, again, like with the communication side of things, you, you want to make sure they understand everything. Just because you understand it doesn't mean that they do or you manage expectations super well. And so always looking at it from their side and giving them what they need to know and what they need to hear is you know, a tip I would say has worked for me and is something that I also apply to what I do. And then same goes for the journalist. Really just try to think like a journalist. Don't try to think like, okay, this press release needs to go out. It's important for us, but you have to look at it as would a, would a reader find it interesting? Like what is the story here? And then once you figure out like what makes something compelling, what makes your news, you know, even relevant at the moment, that's when you're going to find a bit more success because now you're looking at it from the side of how can I help this reporter out? And another piece of advice I would say is just try to think creatively. You know, again, it's not all about the funding news and it's not just the story isn't just in your company mission, vision, your founders and how they started. There's a lot of things that you could look into where a story can be found. So for example, like maybe your product development team is developing a certain product, is developing um, something new, and this is because there's a trend that they're seeing now, and that could be something interesting. You know, Also even looking into data that you guys and the company might already be collecting, or if you guys have like some internal reports, this is something that you can repurpose into 
content that some journalists might be interested in. So there are so many ways that you can generate stories from your company and you just really need to kind of think outside of the box sometimes because a lot of it can be found in what you have now. Do you have a do you have an independent practice separate from Seed Stars? Yeah, so um while I do Seed Stars, um, I also consult, I do like some PR consult work for, you know, local companies in the Philippines and also around Asia. So, yeah, helped some external like startups in the past just kind of get the ball rolling in terms of getting more media for their company. All right, wonderful. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of our session today. If uh, you would like to learn more from Michaela Villaroman, please feel free to reach out to us at C2 Media, which is the parent company of Content Grow. Mika, just wanted to say thanks uh, once again for joining us today. It's been a pleasure.